Party people in the place to be. Welcome back to You Scared of This, a weekly podcast where two grown men watch every episode of Nickelodeon's classic horror anthology, Are You Afraid of the Dark, and try to determine if it's still scary. Usually it's not, but boy oh boy, this week's going to be a different story. Yep. But we'll get there in due time. My name's David Dykus. I'm joined, as I always am, by my best friend, Eli Phillips, live from Austin, Texas. Hello, party people. <laughs> Say hi to the nice party people. <laughs> Hello, party people in the place to be, and all the places that you shouldn't be. Sometimes the best place to have a party. Uh, but yeah, this is our trip through every single episode of Are You Afraid of the Dark? And uh, this week we're up to the tale of Watcher's Woods. Tale of Watcher's Woods or the Tale of the Watcher's Woods? Um, it is listed on IMDb as the Tale of Watcher's Woods. All right, then. Had it right the first time. The Tale of Watcher's Woods. Before we get into the Tale of Watcher's Woods, uh, normally this would be the segment of the podcast where I talk about nude business, uh, some sort of Nickelodeon-related news or developments. Uh, but this week, uh, unfortunately, I don't have any. Uh, I didn't come across any nude business on any of my usual sites, and frankly, I've been kind of busy this weekend, so I got nothing. You know, I went back... I read... Not for lack of trying, though. I did try to Google it very hastily before we started recording, and let me tell you something. It's really hard to Google Nickelodeon news, because there are no websites dedicated to it, and you get about a hundred links to uh, articles and videos of Nick News, which doesn't do me any good. That's true. Our main source for Nick News tends to actually be the AV Club, which you've referenced a couple of times. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. The most recent Nickelodeon-related content that I actually saw in the AV Club was their analysis of Salute Your Shorts. And did you read that? Uh, No, I didn't. I somehow missed that. When was that? Uh, it came out last week. It's really good. If, if, if anyone hasn't read it and remembers Salute Your Shorts, you should totally, uh, go back and give that a read. They discuss how the first season of the show had, uh, one character named, uh, Michael, who was sort of the protagonist, and that, uh, in the second season, he was replaced, and there was no real central protagonist. It was an ensemble show from that point forward. And they talked about interesting. they I'll, talked about how that benefited right. the show, which I thought was really interesting. I'll have to check that out. I don't know how that one uh, got underneath my radar. Yeah, the article is called "Salute Your Shorts Proved That a Good Ensemble Doesn't Need a Protagonist." Listeners, go read that. Yeah, we'll try to tell us what you think. We'll try to remember to post it on uh, on the page on the Facebook page. But for lack of any nude business, I guess we you know we've got a lot to talk about in the tale of Watcher's Woods anyway. So let's get down to brass tacks. That's true. Yeah, we've got a lot to discuss from the Midnight Society and also from the story that we're going to hear tonight, uh, Sam's story. The Tale of Watcher's Woods was directed by Mr. David Winning and written by Gregory Kennedy. Yes. Uh, originally aired January 22nd, 1994. And we start this episode off with a pretty big revelation. That's right. It's been building for two weeks now. We're finally going to meet Sam. Yeah, at the beginning of this season, when Gary announced that uh, David and Kristen were leaving, he brought his little brother into the Midnight Society, and we talked about the fact that he brought him in and pulled the bag off of his head and made him go through the ritual of telling a story. Um, they didn't make him keep a blindfold on like they did for Frank for the entirety of it, um, but they did make him walk out to the Midnight Society circle with the bag over his head, and this episode starts in the exact same way. They frame this very specifically. You see a figure in a leather jacket sitting on the stone throne. Mm -hmm. uh, And their face is obscured by this burlap sack. And Betty Ann hypes it up and says, All right, everyone, 
here's Sam. And Sam takes off the mask, and oh my gosh, she's a totally bodacious babe. Yeah, all of the guys, well, two of the guys are stumbling over themselves uh, in regards to Sam. Tucker doesn't seem to be so enthralled, but uh, Gary and Frank both have cartoon hearts popping out of their eyes and are having to pick their tongues up off the ground. Let's rewind to Tucker. Tucker immediately says something along the lines of like, The guy's a girl. Yeah, and I have him here in my notes, just fuck you, Tucker. <laughs> Actually, everyone is confused by this. Um, I didn't realize that for the last two episodes, Betty Ann had been talking about Sam, but not using any gender-specific pronouns. It just slipped right. right by me. I thought the exact same thing. Like, the misdirection there failed to misdirect me. I guess because I remembered Sam was a, a female character. Yeah, we take. For- Sam's not a very common male name anymore either. But yeah, Sam takes off the burlap sack, lets loose her long, flowing blonde hair, and Frank immediately tries to lay down the Mac in the, maybe the worst way ever. Yeah, what does he say? Yo, Sam, I'm Frank, and uh, I think you're the hottest thing around this campfire. Thanks. She responds to this you by grabbing his hand and trying to break it, ow, ow, as any mercy, rational mercy. person would. Yes. Gary immediately flubs up and says, I think you're perfect. No, for the Midnight Society. Mm. <laughs> this is a side of the Midnight Society we have never seen before, where all of the guys are just fucking bumbling and tripping over their own boners. Previously, we'd only had the one romance uh, between David and Kristen, and that was so subtle, even after they were together, um, that you didn't really think about it that much. We actually had to like make careful note of when Kristen would react to something David would say, or when they would be sitting next to each other, those sorts of things. Uh, I remember us pointing out specifically when David lost his bike and Kristen walked up to the walked up to the fire with him. Um, so this is the first like really direct head-on confrontation of sexual attraction that we've seen in the Midnight Society, which is very very funny. Sam still has to go through the motions of getting into the Midnight Society, so she sits down. And fucking hell, the way she introduces her story, I thought I was listening to an episode of Lore. There are tons of ancient legends about the woods. Legends of spirits, like the Manitou or the Wendigo. But whatever happened to these spirits once people showed up to hack down their world? The woods seem to exist as a reminder that so much of the world is outside of our control. Done in a very Aaron Mankey type way. (laughs) I'm Aaron Mankey. Holy cow, the guy's a girl. Oh my god. What if Aaron Mickey was a member of the Midnight Society? <laughs> I would this, love that. That absolutely needs to happen. So let's let's like draw up some Aaron Mickey Midnight Society crossover fan fiction. Anyway, story starts. The tale of the Whispering Woods. Nope. Wait, no. Ha ha ha. The tale of Watcher's Woods. There you go. And this is going to be a classic uh nice kid versus butthead story. <laughs> Yeah, when was the last time we got a young protagonist in a butthead story? I guess it was the first one of this season, but it also had two young protagonists. This one is maybe most similar to uh, Tale of the Lonely Ghost? Uh, yeah, Tale of the Lonely Ghost, or Laughing in the Dark, maybe. We meet our first young protagonist. Sarah is a young girl who's going to an all-girls camp for the summer, and we're told she's just the best. She's smart, and she's a go-getter, and she's an overachiever, and she has all the merit badges, uh, and she's going to kick this camp's ass. She She's like Girl Scout Supreme, because it's it follows all of the conventions of Girl Scouts, as far as like the different types of badges that you can get and stuff, but they can't say Girl Scouts. She's going to Girl Scout camp. 
I was never a scout, nor did I ever go to camp, so I can't really verify how authentic this experience is. But did you never go to camp? I never went to camp. I've we've talked about this. I never went to 4-H or Boy Scout or any you know summer camp, church camp, nothing. Oh my goodness, man! How how do I keep forgetting all of your like human deficiencies? <laughs> you wonder why I'm fucked up now. I never went to camp. <laughs> you know, like I feel like there was a period. I didn't sit around with the camp kids watching the fucking Sandlot or whatever happens there. <laughs> yeah, that's all we do. It's just sit around at camp and watch Sandlot. I feel like <laughs> gather around the campfire and watch Sandlot. <laughs> There was definitely a period in our friendship, like, very early on, where I was learning all of the things you didn't do as a child, and uh, and maybe making some, like, judgments about you based on that, and I've, I've, it's been so many years now that I'd, I'm, going through this podcast together, I'm really happy to be relearning all of the things that you were deprived of for some reason. Look, I played sports as a kid. I'm not proud. <laughs> you weren't even a jock by the time I met you. I was never a jock, but I was forced to play baseball for many years. Anyway, that's that's a story for... Never. That's a story for never, because <laughs> it's not interesting. We are literally, like, two minutes into this story. We meet our two young protagonists. Nope, Sarah is nope, a girl nope, who's an overachiever. Nope. We meet our one young protagonist. And there are two young protagonists. Come on. Uh, all right, fine. If you want to call it that. First young protagonist is Sarah. She's a girl who's come to camp and is awesome at camping. Uh, our other young protagonist, protagonist used in the loosest sense of the word, is a girl named Kelly, who is roughly the same age, and is only at this camp because she says her parents wanted to get away from her for two weeks. Which I liked. I enjoyed that line. And I absolutely don't blame her parents because she is an awful human being. She's a little bit of a shit. When we first see her, she's dragging a massive trunk. It's one of those tropes where someone doesn't want to go camping, and so they've overpacked, and all of their stuff spills out of whatever they're carrying. Yeah, she's walking, her stuff spills out, Sarah tries to help her, and is immediately shut down. Walk much? Sorry, let me help. Uh, no one touches my stuff. I'm Sarah. It's my first time here. I'm thrilled. Fast forward to sometime in the future, and all of the girls have gathered at a cabin, uh, we get a funny sequence where Kelly is has stolen Sarah's sash of merit badges and is making up, like, ridiculous names for each one of them. Oh, look, here's the one she got for jumping out of an airplane and living. <laughs> here's the one she got for cleaning up all the pollution in the whole world. All the pollution in the world! <laughs> like, that is, I respect that hyperbole. That is great. Yeah, she starts small, but then she very quickly builds. Kind of like everything in this episode, she just builds to insanity. This is such a weird scene, because for no particular reason, uh, there's another girl playing piano in the background, who doesn't even have any lines to speak of. Uh, but she's futzing her way through a piece of classical music. That's... They hate music. That is what you're playing, Sylvie, isn't it? Ha, ha. Did you notice when she turns around, like, it's fucking Barb from Stranger Things. <laughs> it's basically Barb from Stranger Things. I mean, yeah. not not literally, but it's that same, I there's a geeky, red-haired girl with big, thick glasses. She's got the same glasses. She's wearing, like, really, really dated clothes. Yeah, it's, it's, it's pretty wonderful. Barb of the Younger Years. Sarah arrives, wants to know where all of her badges are. The girls start to intimidate her by talking about the Watcher's Woods. Yeah, Sarah finds on the wall a plaque commemorating the memory of three campers who died like almost a hundred years ago. They got lost in the woods, and the only thing that was found were their whistles. 
Yeah, each girl is outfitted with a little golden whistle in case they get lost. Fat lot of good it did them. Rather than inscribe this plaque with, like, the names of the kids or, like, in memory of so-and-so, it just says, don't go in the washer's woods. Yeah. (laughs) And so Sarah's asking about this, and we get another sort of classic Are You Afraid of the Dark trope where everyone except for our protagonist knows why a thing is scary and why you shouldn't do a thing. And uh, we get our exposition from kids talking about ghosts. Yes, we get a big exposition dump where they say that Watcher's Woods is kind of like the Bermuda Triangle. It's this weird sort of ill-defined thing that, like, moves from place to place and blips kids. Blipped? Lost? Vaporized? Erased? The legend goes way back. Indian tribes, colonial soldiers, pioneers... All gone, never seen again. So we get our exposition dump, and because they couldn't figure out a way to transition from that to the next scene, for some reason, a a mouse wanders out and scares Kelly, and... Yeah, Kelly is scared of mice, haha, moving on. Uh, The girls are all lined up outside, I guess sometime later, uh, getting ready to go collect foliage. I think it's the next day, because that first scene seemed like it was night. The girls are all outside... Uh, they're getting ready to go collect leaves in the forest. I made a random observation of something in the background today. Nice. Oh, shit. Uh, da, 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 da. On the blackboard behind the instructor is, like, uh, they have these illustrations of all the different leaves that, that they are to collect. And one of them is just poison ivy. <laughs> <laughs> are they going to make these girls pick up fucking poison ivy? It, it's a test. Any girl who successfully comes back with poison ivy does not get her leaf collecting badge. But that's all I got. Uh, of course, because this is a TV show, uh, Kelly and Sarah get paired up. They're walking through the woods. Kelly's talking shit. Kelly, this way, pulls out a cigarette, which was kind of shocking. Yeah, she pulls out a cigarette out of nowhere. This girl and... is 12. Like, this girl can't be a teenager, and she just pulls out a carton of Marlboros. And the only reason that Sarah stops her is because they're not supposed to light anything in the woods, right? Yeah, like, it's not like, oh my god, you're a child and you're smoking? Or, oh my god, you have an entire pack of cigarettes that you somehow (laughs) snuck up your ass into the camp? Yeah. It's like, let's not make Smokey the Bear cry here. Don't light a cigarette. Only you can prevent forest fires, Kelly. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, I did not know what to make of that. So after this seemingly pointless exchange, uh, they're walking through the woods. Kelly devises a plan to get Sarah off her back. She tells Sarah that there is a nest of pheasants just through a clearing in the trees, and Sarah finds this irresistible. You raised an eyebrow at this, right? Like, you were very confused by that entire exchange, weren't you? I mean, the only thing that confused me was how Sarah could be that gullible. It didn't confuse you how Kelly somehow knew that Sarah couldn't resist a nest of pheasants? Sarah, like an idiot, goes looking for these fez- these imaginary pheasants. Kelly takes the opportunity to steal her bag and run away. And as she's leaving, she throws out the one-liner. If you're somebody smart, you're pretty dim. Adios. Like so a, a I little... think that's them kind of like hand-waving it, that uh, Sarah is an excellent outdoors woman, but she is as dumb as a sack of hammers. Not, not very street savvy. No, no, no. But none of this matters. Kelly successfully ditches Sarah, wanders off in the woods, and you're not going to believe what happens next, Eli. What happens next? Guess what happens next. A commercial break? I'm going to tell you what happens next. She gets lost in the fucking woods and winds up in Uatu the Watcher's Woods. (laughs) I wish it was Uatu. Oh, man. What what kind of story would that be? (laughs) This is already an alright episode, but if they'd wanted to take it to that next level... 
Anyway. Yeah, she gets lost in the woods. It's kind of like that scene in Winnie the Pooh where they keep wandering around and coming back to the same circle. That's what's happening to her. Uh, she throws down the bags in frustration, and probably the dumbest moment of the show happens, would you agree? Yeah, through the magic of crossfading, the pegs vanish. Yep, they literally just, like, fade away. Almost the laziest special effect you could imagine. Not just a lazy the special effect. The only thing that would have been cheaper would be if they had just hard cut from the bags being there to them not being there, and they'd add in, like, a pop sound effect. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and it, not only is it a cheap effect, but it doesn't make sense narratively very much. I mean, yeah, the woods are magic, but this is the only instance of anything like this that we see. Um, and she notices it immediately. She's like, oh, crap, the bag's vanished. And she pulls out her compass, and the compass is spinning around like crazy. So Kelly is lost in the woods. Sarah wanders out of the uh, the foliage. and She's like, oh, crap, now I've got to find Kelly. Uh, important to remember that Sarah knows the outdoors. Kelly does not. And by nightfall, Kelly is hopelessly lost. Uh, she eventually stumbles upon a strange green light coming from deep within the forest. Yeah. And because I guess she's never seen a movie or anything scary, she decides it's a good idea to go towards this totally unnatural alien light and see what's up. She crawls through a hole that she doesn't recognize to be the exact same one she tricked Sarah into going through. And on the other side of it... We get the most fucked up thing I have ever seen in an episode of any show on Nickelodeon. The most fucked up thing on children's television ever. She is greeted by a flayed cow skull impaled on a spike. With its eyes still intact. It is just a skinned cow's head. Oh, this is going to give me nightmares now. Yeah. I had blocked this episode out. I remember seeing this as a kid and not being able to sleep. This is horrifying. She just, like, walks through this hole in the wall, and there's... And and then, like, when she walks past it, it turns and, like, it follows her. Like, it turns and looks at her. It watches her! Yeah. It's so awful! Yeah. Listeners, you have to see this to believe it. This should not have been on a children's TV show. This is gonna be our... This shouldn't be on daytime TV! This is going to be our SoundCloud episode image, right? Oh, yeah. You, You will have seen it by the time we are discussing this. In your ears. Anyway, she... She wanders into this clearing, and she's not nearly as phased by this mutilated cow skull as much as we were. She finds what looks to be a campsite. There's a tent, but there's no one in it. There are all these weird and arcane instruments set up all around the camp. There are bowls with fire coming out of them, and the bowls are just floating up and down in the air. It looks like it looks like a weird cult campsite that you would see in a Disney ride. Like a Pirates of the Caribbean style set, but with terrifying cult imagery. Like maybe something out of one of the Harry Potter rides at, at Universal, probably. Kelly is exploring the camp. She gets scooped up in a net, and out from the Watcher's Woods step... The Golden Girls. Three old hags. Welcome to Watcher's Woods. A.K.A. the Three Witches from... Uh, What's that Disney movie that everyone likes? The one you have you you've not seen Hocus Pocus, have you? I've seen Hocus Pocus. Yeah, it's the Sanderson sisters. I'm not a savage. I've seen Hocus Pocus, <laughs> of course. Yeah, the three witches from Hocus Pocus step out. The Sanderson sisters. Oh God, what happens here? The girl screams, and we get our commercial break. Blade, 
Jam, and Big Flamu, four heroes fighting to stop the evil Dr. Paranoid from taking over the world. They fight, they bite, they kick some serious men. When we come back from the commercial break, the Sanderson sisters have tied Kelly up. She's standing and she's tied up like an X. Like her arms are up in the air on either side and her legs are spread and tied to the to a she's tied to these two posts and they're painting a yellow X on her chest. The Sanderson sisters keep alluding to the fact that they seem to recognize Kelly, that she's someone who knows them and who cursed them to spend 75 years in the Watcher's Woods and now they're going to get their revenge. A quick aside here. Do you know who the the lead Sanderson sister here is? Uh no. It is the same actress who played Nanny in The Tale of the Lonely Ghost. My baby! My baby! Oh, holy shit, it is. Yeah, uh, and according to the wiki, uh, the same actress and another one of the, the crones went on to appear in several more episodes of the show, so not the last we'll see of them. But they're painting her with this X, they're saying they're going to get their revenge. They shoot a flaming arrow at her and she screams. Fire! And for some reason, the arrow passes right through her and sticks into a tree. Yeah. It's never explained, right? It's never explained. Never explained! None of this is explained! We don't know who they're, the the Sanderson sisters are referring to, what exactly is going on, who cursed them, none of that. But they just keep threatening Kelly. Yeah. Uh, and she eventually deduces, oh my god, they're the three girls who disappeared in the woods 75 years ago. So she knows who they are, and they are convinced that she is the person who got them lost in the woods which is fitting since she did that exact same thing to someone else today this is just history repeating itself so it's not like she right. doesn't totally deserve their anger but she says oh if you let me go i can help you i can make all of this right and they say okay and then they say just kidding and they drop a giant wooden like tiger trap cage on her at this point sarah's wandering through the woods she hears a strange voice that sounds kind of like dr claw cry out to her mm-hmm All right, so Sarah hears this bizarre voice, yeah, Dr. Claw-sounding thing, uh, and she sees the green light as well, and she runs towards it. Yeah, she wanders in, she sees that Kelly is trapped. Kelly probably couldn't get back to the camp anyway. The the old crones see Sarah, and they're like, oh, another one. Sarah also deduces what's going on. She's like, oh, I'll go back, and I'll get your whistles. And they say, oh, well, you if you're not back by sunrise, we're going to start eating your friend. Why not work on our survival medal and hunt her for food? There's one other crazy thing about this episode. We have allusions to child mutilation, cannibalism, a skinned animal's head, kids smoking. What world is this? <laughs> what kind of episode? Is Sarah says she'll do it. So she sprints out of the Watcher's Woods. She looks up at the stars so she can find her way home, which... Like, once again, they just want to show that she is capable of doing these things, whereas Kelly wasn't. Yeah, she is a, an experienced outdoorsman. She trips and falls, and once again, we, the audience, crap our pants because she comes face-to-face <laughs> with a flayed human skull just with, hanging out on the ground. With the eyes still intact. Is there? It, it didn't occur to me, but is there a connection between these two things? I think that's just the Watcher's preferred method of killing. Uh, she comes face-to-face with this skull. And suddenly the skull emerges from the ground and takes the form of the Watcher, who is this tree man? You fascinate me, Sarah. I'm eager to have a soul such as yours, my precious ones. 
Yeah, this is like if Groot had been rendered using turn of the 90s special effects. But no, he's this big towering man made of tree, and he refuses to let her out of his woods. Uh, this prompts Sarah to whip out a match and threaten to burn this motherfucker down. It's not a match. It's it's Kelly's lighter that, she, that Sarah confiscated to keep Kelly from smoking. They're trying to make all of this make sense. Like, ah, oh, there was yeah, Chekhov's gun, Chekhov's lighter here. Only, like, what the fuck was that 12-year-old doing with a lighter anyway? I didn't even make that connection, but the Watcher immediately chickens out and lets her through. Back at the Sanderson sisters' camp, one thing we uh, failed to mention was that they are threatening Kelly with a bucket of rats. Once again, this goes back to the random one that we saw. For some reason, yeah, the sisters have an entire bucket full of white mice that they put at the foot of the cage just to scare her. Yeah. We even get an unexpected Indiana Jones homage in reaction to this. Why did it have to be rats? This is such a weird scene. I mean, for multiple reasons. Like, one, as you said, why do they have this bucket full of rats? How do they know that that's really going to get her goat? But also, it's filmed really strangely. It is this filmed with a night vision camera? They shoot this in a really weird way to make the night scary. It's not a night vision camera. I think it's just a green gel on the house lights. Okay. But yeah, they, it, let's make something clear. The rats that they bring out are just these adorable little white fluffy mice. Yeah, they're laboratory mice. But in order to try to make them look scary, we're getting these extreme close-ups on them. They're lit in this bizarre, unnatural way. It doesn't completely work, but. Props to them for trying, I guess. So Sarah makes it back to camp. She grabs the whistles that belonged to the three missing girls, and then she incredibly quickly makes it back out to uh, the campsite, which is good because these women are sharpening a machete. Yes. (laughs) Using a stone lathe. It's awesome. It has to be sharp to be painless. Did they pack that fucker out into the woods? Like, where do they get all this shit? So, shall we start on our cooking medals or on our pet-keeping medals? Why not cook half of her and teach the other half to do tricks? What are we even doing here? What is this? Yeah, they say they're going to keep half as a pet and eat the other half of her. Uh, As they're saying this, Sarah runs up and she falls on the ground. She trips again. She falls on the ground and one of the three whistles goes flying and rather conveniently lands in the bucket of rats. Swish, two points. So since she did not Another bring... Another So because she did not bring the three whistles, she allegedly, she just brought them two, they've decided that she did not fulfill her duties, she has not, like, set them free, I guess. So they're going to go ahead and cut Kelly in half, but first they're going to cut Sarah in half. Yeah, from nowhere, they snap their fingers, and a giant guillotine made out of the fucking aggro crag appears. They had this guillotine, and rather than like a regular blade, they have this jagged neon green rock that they're going to use to cut off Sarah's head. Yeah. And she just appears tied to the the base of it. Yeah, like they teleport her. She's, She's on the ground where she fell over, and they teleport her onto this, like chopping block and she's now tied up somehow so these women have some fucking crazy magic kelly can't bring herself to grab the whistle out of the bucket of mice uh she they're about to decapitate sarah she eventually finds the will to reach in grab it and blows on it the witches realize what's going on the guillotine just disappears sarah falls to the ground tosses them the last whistle they blow on the whistles and they vanish the ill-defined curse is broken 
And our two young protagonists are finally free. And they hug. And they hug. That's how you know they're friends now. Yep, they've overcome uh, this so, trial together. So in the denouement to this story, the girls reach the road. It's like daylight at this point, and they pass a Model T on the trail. Driven by, like, Hitler's chauffeur. The guy driving it has, like, these steampunk goggles, and he's wearing, like, a weird <laughs> leather shirt and leather gloves. I love this guy. He looks like he looks like he's wearing uh, like SS clothing. He really does. That's exactly what I had in my notes. He looks like a steampunk SS general. Yeah, but he's transporting three little girls in the back, and and the girls are wearing clothes that loosely correspond to what the witches were wearing, or the hags rather. Don't correspond at all to what this dude is wearing. But yeah, it's clearly the yeah. three girls from before. They're free from the curse and can now move on to hell. To hell. That's right. He's driving them to hell. And the, our two protagonists reunite with the rest of the girls at the camp. And that's the end of the story. We cut back to the Midnight Society. All of the other members huddle up like football style, decide whether or not to let Sam in. Of course they let Sam in. For the first time in, for us, months, we have a fully formed Midnight Society again. That's right. Yeah. Full roster. Well, minus, minus one. Yeah, there, we'll, we'll always... Have an Eric-shaped hole for, in our in our circle. But Every, yeah, the Midnight Society is, for the time being, complete. Yep, everyone high-fives Sam and tells her a good job. And we don't even get our traditional ending. They sort of, like, freeze frame on Sam smiling and then fade to black. Rock an awesome theme song. And when we get to the credits, they put that fucking flayed head in the background throughout the entire thing. And it's disgusting yep we're looking at this weird creepy skull god well that's the episode eli i'm curious to know what you thought about this one uh this is an episode that just fails narratively it is all spectacle the good news is the spectacle is fantastic it's insane i completely agree like the story to this one is nothing we haven't seen before we have three antagonists who are lifted pretty much wholesale from a movie but this is just madness the stuff that you see in this episode is unrivaled like we've never seen anything this gory or macabre or crazy it's a real kitchen sink approach they i mean we have this watcher who appears only in one scene and he doesn't really do anything right like he tries to stop sarah and she holds out a lighter and he di- he disappears into the ground so he's, like, the main antagonist, narratively, for the first half, isn't the actual antagonist. The victims from the first half are the antagonists, and they have been driven insane. Again, just to recap, this episode includes a skinned cow's head, a mm-hmm. skinned human head, mm-hmm. allusions to cannibalism, allusions to mutilation, allusions to juvenile smoking. Decapitation. Decapitation. Barb from Stranger Things playing the piano for no reason. Yep. A bucket full of rats. Yep. Uh, I, I think you're right. I think this is a <laughs> the kitchen <SS>. sink approach. <laughs> An SS Nazi general driving a Model T with three girls in the back. What more do you want? My God. Oh, this episode is just crazy. I The story is nothing, but you have to see this. Yeah. Oh. I mean... <laughs> Let's 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 rewind. Let's talk about some other stuff in the episode that we liked. I think the girl who played Kelly did a really good job. I mean, we've had I say that because we've had buttheads in the show plenty of times before. 
Uh, I really enjoy this actress's uh, performance. I think I think she brought a lot of confidence to which that makes, role. Which makes she, sense. But she wasn't just vile. I'll show you a pheasant nest if we can cut out early and go swimming. A pheasant's nest? Really? Deal. Okay, Mother Nature, let's roll. We failed to mention this during the review of the episode, which is fine. Um, but she went on to have a lot of roles that people will be familiar with. Um, she was one of the two main characters in Disney's series Flash Forward, which was also sort of a a, sh- a show targeted at the same age group um, at that period of time. I think like the was it nineteen ninety six Flash Forward happened, and she was on um, she was on another Nickelodeon show too, the one with the kids in space. Space Cases. Yeah, she was the girl with the rainbow hair on Space Cases. She was in Firefly and Serenity. Uh, So it makes sense that we got a really good performance in this one. What are your impressions of Sam so far? You know, uh, DJ talked to us about how he tried to give different kids different types of stories. Like, for the first two seasons, this was sort of Betty Ann's thing. Betty Ann was the one that told the really gruesome stories, right? He said that he always liked having Betty Ann be the the cute, squeaky clean girl next door, but for her to be into like the crazy shit. And maybe that mantle has been like that torch. Maybe that torch has been passed. Maybe Sam is just going to be telling us batshit insane stories from now on. If anybody can top this story in terms of gore or craziness, I don't think I'll be able to watch the show anymore. <laughs> I think I probably know what we're going to say here. I think I knew from the very beginning what the answer to the question would be, but Eli, I'll go ahead and ask it. You scared of this? Yes. Yeah, as as a big wuss, that skull thing just spooks me right out. And as a vegetarian, I was super grossed out just looking at that animal head. Yeah, this episode bothered the shit out of me. This episode is disturbing in a way that I don't think any other episode of the show has been up to this point. Uh, It is still scary, unconditionally. If you're wanting something to watch around the Halloween time, check this one out. You're going to have a good time. That is the Tale of Watcher's Woods, the third episode of season three of Are You Afraid of the Dark and the first Sam story. Uh, Join us next week when we will have The Tale of the Phone Police, episode four of season three, directed by Jean-Marie... Did we ever decide how we pronounce her last name? Nope. Kamau? Kamo? Como? Probably Kamo. I'm from Kentucky, guys. I don't know how to say anything that's not like Smith. Uh, Jean Mary Kamau. <laughs> Jean Mary Kamau. Uh, and written by David Preston. And will be a Tucker story in a weird way. But with a twist. Yep. So everybody look forward to that. Uh, between now and then, you can find us on Facebook, facebook.com slash you scared of this. On Twitter, Twitter, or at, on Twitter, at you scared of this. And of course, you can listen to our, all of our old episodes either on iTunes or on SoundCloud, soundcloud.com slash you scared of this. Uh, So be sure to like, share, and subscribe, and we thank you for that, and we'll see you all next week. Yes, we've been getting some crazy listens this uh, these past couple weeks, so let's keep up the good work, guys. We thank you so much. Yeah. Uh, See you next week for the tale of the phone police. Possibly the least scary-sounding episode title thus far. I agree. (laughs) 
until we get to what is it the tale of the weird soup the tale of the dangerous soup I like the idea of assembling a new Midnight Society based on, like, podcasters. It would be Aaron Mankey and the woman from the Black Tapes. What's her name? Uh, Alex Regan. Yeah, it would be Aaron Mankey and Alex Regan and who else? A Night Vale person? Oh, yeah. um, What's his name? I don't know. Starts with a C? I don't know. Listeners, who would you put in your uh, podcasting Midnight Society for 2016? Let us know. Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. <laughs>